I want to tell you a story today about a man who used to go to this church. His name was Ted, and he passed away about two and a half years ago. And some of you may remember Ted as I talk about him a little bit today, but if you didn't know Ted, Ted was about this tall. He was about four feet, nine inches tall. But he was not a small man. He was a giant. He was what we call in the business spiritually gifted. And his gift was kindness. He was nice to everybody. And he was really good at being nice to everybody. He was simply a decent, wonderful, caring individual. And he always wanted to help. And he always did help. If you ever needed a ride anywhere, Ted was your guy. If you ever needed someone to sit with you in the doctor's office or the hospital, Ted would always say yes. If you ever had lost someone in your life, if you were mourning, if you were grieving the loss of someone special to you, a spouse, a parent, whatever, there was a good chance that you got a call from Ted. Or maybe Ted stopped by your house while he was running his daily errands. A couple of different occasions, I called people who had recently lost someone and they pick up the phone, and the first thing they said to me, oh, thanks, Pastor Bonnie, for calling. I just got off the phone with Ted. At that point, I realized Ted was trying to take my job. <laughs> he did so much around here, too. The worship folders we have every single weekend, he would collate them. Whenever there was a mailing, you guys get a lot of mail from the church? Whenever there was a mailing that needed to be sorted or assembled or stamped or sealed or taken to the post office or whatever, we would make a team of people. The team would always have team number, but team member number one was Ted. Whenever there was a function downstairs in the gym, at the end of that function, got to pick up the tables, got to pick up the chairs. And Ted was like a machine. He would start cleaning up these chairs and tables, and I would think to myself, Ted's not in his prime anymore. You've got to be careful with Ted, but you couldn't stop him. He was going to help. He was going to serve. He was going to be who he was and what he was, a wonderful human being. And so he was. He was my friend. But he was everybody's friend. To know Ted was to be his friend. And the church misses him. Every church needs a guy like Ted. If the church had like 10 Teds, this would be the greatest congregation in the history of Christendom. So that's who he was. Now for the story. Towards the end of his time on this earth, Ted had tough times. He was in and out of the hospital a lot. And when he was out of the hospital, he was essentially homebound. So the last time I went to see him in his house, we had a really great conversation. I remember so vividly what he said to me. I went there, he was there, he was essentially, you know, 
not moving too much. And he says to me, Pastor Browning, I got to tell you, God has been so good to me. God has done such amazing things for me in my life. And he says this, I'm I'm a pastor, you know, and and this is rocking my world. I want to hear more of this. I want to hear his testimony. I want to hear all the amazing things God has done for him over the course of his life. So I say, Ted, tell me more. I want to hear all the amazing things God has done for you. And he says, well, most every day, it seems like I lose my keys. And I go looking for those keys, and I get really frustrated. But then I stop, and I, and I pray. And every single time like that, I find my keys. And that was his story. Now, if you were to make a scale, a miracle scale of 1 to 10, and 1 on that scale represents something like, oh, I don't know, putting your money in the vending machine and it works. And 10 is the parting of the Red Sea. There's your scale, right? The praying and finding your keys is probably somewhere about 1.8. To most of us, not very amazing. But to Ted, who saw everything that happened in his life as a work of God, He saw the hand of God in everything, including his daily routine with his keys. It was amazing. It was a miracle. It was a reason for him to give thanks to God. And so that day, essentially what I said to Ted was, you're right, Ted, that is so amazing. But you just wait. You're going to see really amazing things in the very near future. And so he did. And so he does. We give thanks today as we remember him because we know he has claimed the fullness of what God promised to him when he was baptized. He has received the fruits of Jesus' death and resurrection. He has come to the beginning of life everlasting, a journey that will never end. And we give thanks to God for all of that And I thought of that story this week, of course, because it very much to me parallels our gospel reading for today. A story that took place at the beginning of Jesus' public ministry. And the story centers around two individuals. Their names are Philip and Nathaniel. We start with Philip for today, of course, because the gospel lesson starts with Philip. Philip, of course, had met Jesus, had heard Jesus, and it's fair to say that Jesus had rocked his world. He heard what Jesus said, and he believed that Jesus was the one. The one God's people had been waiting for and hoping for and praying about. The one who was going to deliver the kingdom of Israel from bondage, from enslavement. Who was going to make them a great nation again. And so he was really fired up. He was really excited. He was ecstatic. And so let me use an analogy. You ever been really fired up about something? really excited about something like, oh, I don't know. You ever go to a new restaurant and the meal is so perfect, everything is so wonderful, the food was delicious, and you just can't stop thinking about it. What's one of the first things you do? 
the next day, the next two days, the next three days. You start telling people about it, right? Philip was so excited about Jesus, he did what came naturally. He wanted to tell people about Jesus. So Philip goes and tells one of his friends, a man by the name of Nathaniel. He goes to Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, I have really great news. The one we've been waiting for, the one we've been hoping for, the one we've been praying about has come to redeem God's people. He has come to free us from tyranny, to free us from enslavement. He is the Messiah, I know it. And his name, his name is Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel responds, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Now, I don't know what Nathaniel's problem with Nazareth was. Maybe he got a speeding ticket there one time, riding his donkey too fast. Didn't like their football team, thought they had bad public schools. I don't know what his deal was, but for some reason he demonstrates a clear bias towards Nazareth. And so Philip says to Nathaniel, hey, let's go meet him. Come and see this Jesus. And so they go to meet Jesus, and they get to Jesus, and before Nathaniel can say anything bad about Nazareth, Jesus beats him to the punch. He says, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel says, you talking to me? Do I know you? How do, I, how do you know me? And Jesus says to Nathaniel, well, I saw you under the fig tree. And when Jesus says this, he doesn't mean, I saw you under the fig tree. It seems pretty obvious from the reading, Jesus wasn't there. Maybe Nathaniel was alone. Maybe Nathaniel was in the midst of some profound spiritual experience, but whatever. Whatever was happening under that fig tree, the fact that Jesus wasn't there, Nathaniel immediately recognizes the spark of the divine in Jesus. And he says, Rabbi, teacher, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus says to Nathaniel, on the miracle scale, on the amazing scale, 1 to 10, this is not that big a deal. I tell you the truth, you will see greater things than these. And heaven's the Betsy. Nathaniel saw greater things than that. He saw miracles. He saw a man on a cross who died rise again. He saw a resurrection. He saw resurrections. He saw Jesus himself ascend into heaven to take his rightful place at God's right hand. You better believe he saw more amazing things than that day, that moment, when Jesus knew who he was. But still, I can't get past that fig tree. I am really hung up on that fig tree. And what got me about that fig tree is a concept that's pretty simple in the grand realm of theology. This idea that Jesus knew Nathaniel. He knew him. He saw him. And in the same way, 
God sees you. You know that, right? The eyes of heaven are upon you. God sees you right now as you sit here in his house on Sunday, January 14th, 2018, 11.36 a.m. But God sees you all the time, wherever you are, whatever you're up to. God sees you when you're at church. God sees you when you're at home. God sees you when you're at work. God sees you when you're at school. God sees you when you're at your leisure. God sees you when you're coming, when you're going. God sees you when you're in your car. God sees you when you're inside, when you're outside. When you're under the weather or you're under a tree. It doesn't matter. God always sees and God knows everything about you. God knows more about you than you do. He knows your past. He knows your present. He knows your future. Is that a comforting thought? Yes. Maybe. Sometimes, not always. Because that means God sees you when you think no one's looking. God sees you when... God sees me when we do things that... Maybe we're not so proud of. Maybe we don't want public. Maybe we don't want people to see, but God sees. And God knows, man, God knows. That thing you think, and right after you think it, you think to yourself, I could never say that out loud. I could never actually say that to that person. God knows. And the amazing, miraculous thing about life in the kingdom of God is that God loves us anyway. God sees and God knows everything. Who we are, what we are, what we've done, what we will do. He's seen us at our very worst. He knows us at our very lowest. And God loves us anyway. The kingdom of God is founded on a cross. God loved this world so much that he wanted this world, the human beings like us, to be defined by forgiveness. He wants his church to be founded on grace. The death of Jesus is an act of grace. Plainly and simply, he died to win your forgiveness, to open up the kingdom of heaven to all people, to make it so there are no barriers for any of us to be a part of his family. And so there are not God welcomes, God forgives everyone, everything. Those who are angry, those who rage and see, those who kill, those who steal, those who hate, those who say terrible things, those who do terrible things, those who turn their back on God's, on God. Those who turn to other gods instead of God. God forgives them. God forgives you. God forgives me. That's the miracle of grace. And make no mistake, my friends, my brothers and sisters in Christ, it is a miracle. The key word is unforgivable. 
the things human beings say, the things human beings do, unforgivable. God forgives. He forgives the unforgivable. He loves the unlovable. He brings hope and healing and life and eternity to mortals like us, to people who are dying. His grace changes everything. His grace changes us literally. It transforms us. We who are lost have been found. We who are hopeless are filled with hope. We who are dying, we know we will live. We who have sinned, we have been forgiven. That grace has the power to change us, to change others, to change this world. And so it does, and so it has. I have seen it firsthand. The amazing things God has done in this world, in my life, through the power of his grace. So much. God's grace. A man who was a murderer, a persecutor of the church, is transformed into the church's greatest missionary. That's the story of God's people. A man who denied Christ, who turned his back on Jesus, who sold him out at the key moment, becomes his apostle, becomes the rock on which he builds his church. A senior citizen who's four feet nine with mobility issues becomes a titan of this congregation. I've seen what God can do through the power of his grace. I've seen what God can do with his people. I've seen this church at its best. And this church at its best can do amazing things. God has done amazing things through all of you. He has helped the sick, the lonely, the poor. He's helped people in their time of desperation, their time of grief. He's used you to be his hands, his feet in this world. And it's nothing short of amazing. It is nothing short of a miracle. Thanks be to God for the power of his grace. Thanks be to God for all of his many blessings. Think about the blessings God has brought to you in your life. Think about the good things in your life. And make no mistake, they are blessings from God. And we give thanks for all of that today. As Jesus himself comes to us and makes himself real, makes grace so real, we can chew it and we can drink it. And be filled with hope. And all of it, everything, the gifts of God, the grace of Jesus Christ, everything we experience on this earth, you haven't seen anything yet. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, you will see greater things than these. As Jesus says in our gospel reading, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. You will see the dead rising again. You will see those you love, those who have gone before you, you will see them. They will be there at the resurrection and you will see the face of Jesus himself. You will see the beginning of never-ending bliss. You will see joy beyond your imagination. And you'll look into the face of Jesus and you will know finally and for the first time what love really is. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, fellow baptized Christians, that is your destiny. That is your future. And we give thanks for that today. We thank God for all of his many blessings, for the gift of grace here in the present, all that he's done, all that he's doing, 
And we look forward knowing that better is yet to come. In Jesus' name, for Jesus' sake, amen. I invite you to join me now on page four of your worship folder as we confess the ancient Christian.